Let's jump in to uh, God's Word. I'm really excited because for the next 45 minutes, I am going to give you a free session of marriage counseling. Can you say hallelujah? I need it. I'm not going to charge you 100 bucks an hour. For the next 45 minutes, free. I hear you say free. We took the offering already, so free marriage counseling. Take your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 12. And then I'm going to pray. And then we'll begin our counseling session. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flasks along with their lamps. Now while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout. Behold, the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, No, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came saying, Lord, Lord, open up for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Father, Father of life, how we need you day by day. Holy Spirit, interpret these words for us. Interpret these words for us, Lord, as we share today. Lord, to the extent that it is possible, use me to communicate your truth today. I ask you, Spirit of the living God, take charge of this room today. Take charge of our hearing and our seeing today, Lord. Give us a spirit of wisdom and revelation of the knowledge of God in this room. May we be reoriented to you in a new and powerful way today. In Jesus' name, amen. So based on this passage, do you think we could all use some marriage counseling? Do you think we all could? If you're not married in the room, do you think you could use some marriage counseling based on this passage? You know why? Because one of the great truths and revelations in Scripture is that we are the bride of Christ that we are the bride of Christ. It's taught throughout. Let me just share with you a couple of verses to undergird this reality. Isaiah 54, 5. For your husband is your maker, whose name is the Lord of hosts, and your Redeemer is the Holy One of Israel, who is called the God of all the earth. Yes, men, brothers, we actually have a husband. He is our maker. Isaiah 62, 5. For as a young man marries a virgin, so your sons will marry you. And as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so your God will rejoice over you. 
Revelation 19, verse 7. Let us rejoice and be glad and give the glory to him, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, Write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. Everybody say marriage supper. Oh, you thought Thanksgiving was good. Marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. Let me just throw something out to all of us this morning that we need to reorient ourselves to God. We need to reorient ourselves to God. What does it mean? Perhaps God is looking to reintroduce himself to you in a new reality and a new revelation of who he is. Are you following me? Are you open for God to reintroduce himself to you into a new reality and revelation of who he is? Because he does not call you or call me to stay in the same thing year after year. He does not call us to continually walk in King James prayers, Father, thou with loveth thee. There's nothing wrong with that, but there's actually more. This parable speaks to us that we are to be prepared and in a state of readiness as the bride for our bridegroom is getting ready to return. Now, we will neither be prepared nor will we be ready without ongoing marriage counseling. You hear me? If he is the bridegroom and we are the bride, we are in need of some marriage counseling. So I am going to recommend to all of us a great counselor who does tremendous marriage counseling. Do you know who this counselor is? Who is he? There we go, I heard it. The Holy Spirit is the marriage counselor. John 14, 16, Jesus describes him this way. I will pray the Father, and he will give you another counselor that he may be with you forever. The counselor is the Holy Spirit. Matthew 25, 4, in this parable tells us that the prudent took oil in flasks along with the lamps. Now, how many of you know what oil is symbolic for throughout Scripture? It's symbolic of and representative of the Holy Spirit. We see this throughout Scripture. So anytime you are studying a parable of Jesus, that parable is designed to land in our hearts in a multifaceted way. As you study the parables, the parables were ingeniously inspired by Jesus to come into our hearts and land in different areas. And one of the ways we see it landing here is this oil reflective of the Holy Spirit. How many of you know the Holy Spirit is the best counselor? Any Christian counselor worth their salt will point you to the great counselor, the Holy Spirit. If you go to a Christian counselor, and I suggest that we all do from time to time, then make sure that counselor is subject to and reporting up to and is a vehicle for the great counselor who is the Holy Spirit. Now, a key question for those needing marriage counseling I have found 
And I have done hours of marriage counseling. In fact, I have done so much marriage counseling that I quit marriage counseling. I said, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm done. All right? Because I found out what counseling is like apart from the great counselor. I would sit down with couples going through a variety of issues. And it was just like a four-year-old and a five-year-old brother and sister sitting in the back seat. You're on my side of the seat. No, you're on my side. Be quiet. I mean, just, just mindless, right? Bickering and, 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 and fighting back and forth. And I, listen, I was super pastor. I would pull back my shirt and it said SP on it, super pastor. And I was able to swoop in with my infinite knowledge of how to fix their situation. And two and three hours later, we would leave the room having gained no ground. I was exhausted and they were deeply frustrated. Listen, I've got years of this. I got a great pedigree in counseling. And I realized somewhere along the way that my approach was not working. I remember being in the house of a couple into the wee hours one night. They were at each other's throat, literally. And I was sitting in the room. Literally, I'm convinced I prevented a murder. <laughs> sitting there, arguing back and forth, mitigating, interpreting, translating one for the other and back and forth, translated Martian into Venetian, right? Back and forth, trying to, that she's saying this and he's saying that. And I remember coming home and I remember laying in bed next to my wife. And I said, honey, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I remember she's, she said something and she doesn't even remember that she said, well, the problem is, is, that, is that you're doing it. I got a degree in this stuff. I was just, man, I was, man, I knew all the lingo. I knew exactly what to do, but it really wasn't very effectual. And from that moment on, I said, you know what, you're right. I remember the next couple I sat with for marriage counseling. And the first thing I asked them, have you guys been filled with the Holy Spirit? Oh, wait, wait, wait. Are you saved? Are you born again? Oh, great. Then before we even talk about all your issues, listen, I know he's lousy, and I know you're a nag. We, we can establish that already. We all, it's, we're, we're in complete agreement. But are you filled with the Holy Spirit? Because if you're not filled with the Holy Spirit, everything we do from this point on is probably an exercise of great vain futility. Boy, I want you to know my marriage counseling schedule dropped off just like that. <laughs> Once word got out, nobody called me anymore for marriage counseling. But I'll tell you, those that did come and were willing to say, my issue is not with him, my issue is with him. And then once the Holy Spirit filled, it's amazing what a good counselor we have in the Holy Spirit. He's a great counselor. You see, it wasn't enough just to have oil in the lamps. But in this parable, it says these, had, these five of the ten actually had a flask with them. The, the lamp was full and they had a flask with them. And it speaks to preparation and it speaks to readiness. You see, our bridegroom is coming. Do you realize he even now is preparing a place for us? He left so he could prepare a place for us. Do you recognize that he's even now preparing a feast for us called the marriage supper of the lamb? 
He is preparing all this for us and he is coming back for a bride who is prepared and ready for his arrival. And there is gonna come a shout. Behold, the bridegroom comes. Go out to meet him. And those who know him and recognize that voice, we're gonna go. But that's not the time to get ready. You don't wait until he calls to get ready. We're ready in expectation of his coming. So this morning, for the help of clarity, I want to frame up for us four C's, four C's to provide the four corners as we frame up a new orientation of the Father and how to reorient ourselves to him and allow him to reintroduce himself to us as the bridegroom. I dare say that most of us came up in traditions where we were introduced to God as God, right? The Almighty, the Gandalf the White, right? Maybe you came up and you got introduced to the Father. But there's another way to be introduced as the bridegroom, and we were his bride. And this is the view this morning I want us to catch a glimpse of. Because I will tell you, out of all the revelation of Scripture that he'll give us in the knowledge of God, it's the knowledge of him as our bridegroom and we as our bride, which will change us forever because it is the distinction that we will have in the age to come for eternity when all the other titles pass away. This one will remain. So the four C's, one is courtship, consummation, clarification, and continuation. Isn't that great that I came up with four C words that did that? All right, that's gonna form the four corners of reorienting ourselves to this king that we serve. Courtship, consummation, clarification, and continuation. Let's talk about courtship. Courtship. Now, we do not live in a courtship culture, do we? Courtship is a foreign concept to most of us that have come up in the Western world. We don't court, we date, don't we? There's a difference between courting and dating. You may not know this, but there's a significant difference. Dating, if I may be a little crude, could be defined this way. Try before you buy. That's what dating says. I'm going to try before I buy. But courtship is defined as behavior designed to persuade someone to marry them. In other words, the relationship begins with the pursuit of the individual with the intent to marry them, not the intent to try before you buy. You know there's a big difference, understand. I mean, there's significant difference in those two frame of references. In order to get this bridal understanding of who we are and who he is, we look at it not through the lens of dating, but through the lens of courtship. This is unfamiliar to most of us. That's why I said we need a reorientation of what's happening and a grid to look through to get what's going on. Now, I understand this a little bit. I would not have called this courtship, but my own personal story with courting looked like this. I met a woman, and I knew, right, that she was going to be my wife. There was one small problem. She didn't. 
She didn't. In fact, she was convinced she was called to be single. But I was convinced she was called to be married, and I knew who she was called to be married to. It just so happened to be me. So I began then the pursuit, right, as unto marriage. My pursuit was to win her heart in order to marry her, and she did not make it easy. Listen, some of you maybe have walked this out before. My bride was not an easy bride, and it required a great amount of pursuing to catch her. It took romantic picnics up in Helen, Georgia. It took notes. It took poetry. Lots of roses and reds and violets or blues. It took me trying to kiss her and being shunned. We were sitting in my truck and I reached over this perfect moment. We were coming down Highway 29 before 316 was on the corner of 29 and Brazelton Highway. And I pulled over and I realized that was the moment that I was going to confess my eternal love and my intent to win her heart and to marry her. I pulled over to the side of the road. I turned over. She scooted as far away as she could up against the door without getting out. She was a tough catch. But see, courtship looks like that, doesn't it? In courtship, the father is actually arranging this marriage. The father is the initiator. The father is the pursuer because we are a reluctant bride, are we not? We don't make it easy. But the father is unrelenting in his pursuit of his bride. We sang it earlier in that song, Ever Be. It says, and he will have his bride. There was not a moment in time that I had a single doubt that that woman was going to be my wife. Well, maybe a few times I began to doubt. But I was intent on pursuing her. The father is arranging this marriage. And how he is arranging this marriage, he is using his Holy Spirit to do it. John 6, says that no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me, what? Draws him, right? There's this pursuit of God in all of our life. The Holy Spirit is drawing us and wooing us. It's actually a romantic pursuing because our God is a romantic. And he is pursuing us into this relationship. And Paul would go on to clarify this in Romans 2, 4. It says God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. So it's not a mean pursuit. It's actually a kind and loving pursuit drawing us to that place of repentance. Let me say it this way. The whole story from Genesis to Revelation could be said like this. Our father, the wedding planner. If I was going to make a movie, which I'm not, but if I was going to make a movie, I would make a movie and I would entitle it Our Father, the Wedding Planner. Because that is all the Father has been doing from the moment he spoke into existence creation. He began planning a wedding. How many of you ever been married before? Quite a few. I've been married several times. No, just kidding. But you know, there's a lot of work that goes into planning a what? A wedding. And God, the Father, has been planning this wedding since the beginning of time. I've done a lot of weddings. 
I've been in a lot of ceremonies. And I can tell the ones that's been planned and the ones that hasn't been planned. Proper planning prevents poor performance, what I always tell the bride. But man, when those that have been planned right, they are quite a shindig. And the Father has been planning this for at least 6,000 years. Boy, what a wedding is it going to be. He is pursuing us. So after courtship comes the sea we all look forward to. It's consummation. It's when the two come together. Now, I'm not going to elaborate on what that means in the natural. I'm going to jump right to the, to the spiritual. This is the moment we are all born again. The moment in time we are born again is when this consummation takes place. It is pure thrill. Do you remember what it was like when you were born again, if you all know to remember? I remember when I was born again. I remember when I prayed the prayer. I remember when the Lord found me and he knocked on my heart and I, I let him in. I can't, my life just bowled over with joy. I couldn't articulate it. I couldn't define it. I could not recite the right theology to describe what happened, but something happened. The old hymn says, heaven came down and glory filled my soul. I was born again. There's nothing more thrilling than consummation. There's nothing more thrilling when you get born again and God bestows upon you your new identity. He gives you a new name. He calls you beloved. He calls you son. He calls you daughter. He calls you his bride. It's a thrill. And it's exciting. Can I tell you some good news? And as good as that is, as good as that moment in time is, it is just a foretaste of what is coming. Now, when you study the Apostle Paul throughout the New Testament in the Pauline epistles, what you find is, is, is Paul is using a phrase a lot. He's saying, already not yet, already not yet, already not yet. Ultimately, he's saying, I am already have got some of it, but I'm not yet in the fullness of it. What he's saying is actually more coming. Listen to this verse in Ephesians 1.13. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked. Everybody say marked. You were marked in him with a seal. The promised Holy Spirit, who is a, everybody say deposit. A deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. That's a, that's a mouthful, isn't it? You know what I'm saying? That the moment you were saved, the Holy Spirit made a deposit in you of things to come. Remember the story? Uh, it was a, a movie from the 80s called Brewster's Millions. Anybody remember that? Boy, I, am I really that old? Or I'm just that unsanctified. I'm not sure which. But anyway, so as I remember, the premise of the movie was Richard Pryor had inherited a lot of money. It's like $300 million. But in order to get all of it, he got a deposit of $30 million that he had to spend in a certain course of time. And he had to spend it all before that time was up in order to end it all. Do you remember how he had a hard time spending the money? Even trying to get rid of $30 million with nothing to show for it was an extreme challenge to get the $300 million. Let me tell you something. Even this deposit in you is an incredibly large sum of money. But there's more, you see. 
there's more. It's an increasing more. In fact, there is an ever-increasing more that is culminating in a moment and in the twinkling of an eye when we will all be changed. You hear me? In other words, the Holy Spirit made a deposit in you because more is coming to you. You notice how great that is going to be? That your first moment in heaven, that your first moment when 1 Corinthians 15 happens to you, when your corruption is lost in incorruption, when your mortality is swallowed up in immortality, that first moment in your resurrected body, when you are hitting on all cylinders, the perfect infinite will come in contact and be bombarded by the immeasurable infinite. Isn't that amazing? The perfect finite will come into contact with the immeasurable infinite. Your first moment in heaven, your capacity is going to be overrun by the goodness and the glory of God. You're going to just stand there just like that. And that's the first nanosecond in heaven. Can you imagine what it's going to be like? In fact, the Lord can't even give you anymore because your natural flesh couldn't even take it. That's why he can only give you a deposit for things that are coming. That's coming for us as the bride of Christ. Consummation, being changed from glory to glory to glory until at some point in time, you are just going to translate right over into glory. It happened to Enoch in the days of old. It says Enoch walked with God and one day he was just no more. Can you imagine that? Remember Enoch in the Bible? Walking along with God, faithful, walking with God, walking with God. And finally God says, Enoch, it's a little closer to my house than it is to your house. Let's just go on to my house. This is the walk that the Lord desires to have with us. Consummation. It's good. There's courtship. There's consummation. Clarification. For all of us married folk in the room, there will come that moment of deep, profound clarification. If, you've been, if you're married, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a moment of clarification. That's when you realize, wow, this is going to be difficult. This is going to be hard. She does not close the drawers when she puts up her clothes. She does not put the cap on the toothpaste. She is swiping that debit card more than I anticipated. And she might say, he's a lot more hard-headed than I thought. Where did all the romance go? Where did the wooing go? Where did the pursuit go? And it's that moment in marriage when you look at each other and you begin to realize, oh, no, this is going to be difficult and hard as it is in all relationships. And it's the same in our walk with Jesus. We get born again. We are accorded. We are consummated with him. And then there's that moment in time when you realize this is difficult. And our bridegroom did not put this in the fine print. Right? Some of us men and gals, we don't disclose everything to our future bride or our future groom. We are left to discover these little nuances on our own. And they can be shocking at times. But this bridegroom clarified at the onset about what it's going to be like. John 16, These things I have spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. Because in the world you will have what? Tribulation. But take courage. I have overcome the world. 
He lets us know ahead of time, this is not going to be easy. And as long as you're in the world, there's going to be trials and there's going to be tribulations. One of the great things that we don't do for people when they get born again is prepare them what's going to happen in about a week from now. That's why discipleship is so important. Just getting somebody saved is not enough. You got to get them discipled. Because now the devil ain't happy. You become a threat to his kingdom. Luke 9, 23, and he said to all, if anyone would come after me, let him what? Deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. You know, it's that moment of clarification that comes for all of us as believers that we have two things that we're going to have to deal with in this place. We've got to deal with our flesh and we've got to deal with the devil because marriage is not easy in the world and it must be fought for must be fought hard for. Jesus himself modeled this for us in a very powerful way. Do you remember when Jesus was baptized? What happened? This was the father, right? The father was present. Jesus was baptized. He came up. The Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, and then the father sent Jesus where? Into the wilderness to fight his own flesh and the devil. Now, what was Jesus modeling for us? We saw a beautiful part of baptism, but it is baptism unto something. That's not the end. That is just the beginning. You are baptized. You are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then you go into the wilderness under the Father's command, into this dry, desolate place where there is no water. I'm sending you, God says, to face two arch enemies, your flesh and the devil but be of good cheer because I'm with you and I have overcome the world. So the father sends us, but we must have our flask full of oil as we go out there. If Jesus needed his flask full of oil, how much more do we need our flask full of oil? That is why we emphasize so often about the need to be filled with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And while we're arguing over semantics and we're arguing over theology and we're arguing over mechanics, we miss the point. We can't do this without the Holy Spirit. We can't do this without a flask full of oil. You will not win against your flesh. You will not win against the devil unless you've got your flask full of oil. You will not be ready nor prepared to take on what you're going to take on. He sends you into the wilderness on an offensive battle strategy to tear the devil's kingdom down. To occupy till he comes, but to attain and not just maintain. We're not called to be satisfied in a perpetual state of maintenance. Yes, maintenance is important, but it's maintenance to attain, to tear the devil's kingdom down. And that moment of clarification comes and we get that and then we come and we fall on our face like David did and said in Psalm 63, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My body longs for you to dry in a weary land where there is no water as the deer pants for the water. So my soul longs after you, oh God. Better is one day in your courts than a thousands elsewhere, oh God. Because David understood unless he had the presence of God in his life, he could not do what he was called to do. And part of what the bride must have is the oil of the Holy Spirit moving inside of us. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Lastly, but not least, continuation. Continuation. Courtship, consummation, clarification, continuation. In 22 years of vocational ministry and 28 years of marriage, I have learned something, that marriage actually does need some maintenance. It really does. Marriage needs a lot of maintenance. And our marriage with Jesus needs a lot of maintenance. Sadly, some of us take much better care of our material stuff than we do our relationships. Just you think of that for a second? Some of us, me included, take better care of our material possessions than we do our relationships with those that we love and the most important one of all. You see, our stuff is not eternal. You realize that, right? Heaven and earth will pass. It's all going to burn, they say. It's all going to burn. Our relationships are eternal, as is our relationship with Jesus, our groom, and our husband. So continuation. One thing I've learned in marriage and in marriage counseling, that for most marriages, there's a single issue that is always the greatest issue in all marriages. The single greatest issue in all marriages, no matter big nor small, no matter how big the problems are or how small they are, it all begins with one basic problem. What do you think the number one issue in all marriages are, Christian and non-Christian alike? It says around one word. Close communication. Communication. It's the breakdown of communication is the number one issue in marriage. As I have sat with couples on many occasions, and I have lived this out with my own wife, I have learned that what she says is oftentimes not what she means. And what she means is not what she says. And vice versa, right? It's the struggle of understanding and communicating. Now, the reason we need our flask full of oil in this marriage counseling is because it's the Holy Spirit's influence that enables us to hear and talk to the Father. Romans 8 says it like this. When we don't know how to pray, the Holy Spirit helps us in our what? Weakness. The Holy Spirit is one that enables communication with the Father and the Father back to us. As the Spirit of God searches the heart of the Father, the Spirit of God searches our hearts, and communication is possible by the Holy Spirit. So you understand then why a church or why a people or why an institution or why an individual who does not emphasize the influence of the Holy Spirit is going to have some problems. And the problems are going to happen around communication because we can't hear what the Father is saying. Not because he's not speaking, but it's because we're not tuned in and allowing ourselves to be influenced by the Spirit of God. James 1.19, this is a verse that I need to listen to quite often. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. But God, I have so much to say. How many of you know the key is listening and not talking? This principle works in all relationships. 
One of the greatest things you can do for your marriage, if you're married, is to shut up and listen. It really is true. To be quiet and listen. And I mean really listen, not thinking about what you're going to say when they're done talking. You see, many of us are only quiet so we can process what we're going to say once this other murmuring stops. We hear it like Charlie Brown listens to his teachers. And the whole time that rhythmic sound is going, we're processing what we're going to say once they stop because we haven't really listened. I think it was Confucius that once said, seek to understand before being understood. Isn't that great wisdom? Seek to understand before being understood. Here's a nice little poem for you. A wise old owl sat on an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. The less he spoke, the more he heard. Isn't that good? Let me do that again. A wise old owl sat on an oak. The more he saw, the less he spoke. And the less he spoke, the more he heard. You see, the continuation of our walk with God is going to culminate in you listening more than you speaking. You see, the Lord already knows what's in your heart, even before you articulate it. The real good stuff happens when you listen, when you quiet yourself and you be still and know that he is God. He begins to speak to you. He begins to speak over to you. And then you begin to get a revelation of who he is as the groom. Why do we frame up this whole thing in a bridal frame? Courtship, consummation, clarification, continuation. The importance of us to reorient ourselves that yes, he is God. Yes, he is Father. Yes, he is Jesus. Yes, he is Prince of Peace. Yes, he is the Rose of Sharon. Yes, he is the Bride and Morning Star. Yes, he is the Lily of the Valley. Yes, he is the Prophet. Yes, he is the Priest. Yes, he is the King. But I just want to suggest to you there's something more deeply personal than all that, that he is our groom. What happens when we have a flask full of oil? What happens in this communication? What does the Spirit of God begin to communicate to the Father through us, a longing happens. Revelation 22, 17 puts it this way. The Spirit and the bride say, come. Come. It is a longing to be with Him. A fullness that produces a longing to be with Him. I, man, I remember when she would go out of town while we were courting. I was miserable, miserable for days on end when she was gone because I so wanted to be with her. It's that kind of longing, longing multitude by infinity. I want to make a statement. I want you to write this down. This is, this is, this is a key that will unlock some things for us. We are invited to a pursuit born in passion, not obligation. Let that set in your gray matter. We are invited into a pursuit that is born in passion, not in obligation. It's born in passion. There's a difference in passion and in obligation. I live the bulk of my Christian life endeavoring to be a good 
faithful servant in the household of God. And I would like to think I did it pretty darn well. And there's nothing wrong with being a good servant. But there is more. There's more than just being a good servant. There's a greater motivator than obligation and duty. A much greater motivation than obligation and duty. It's called passion and it's called love. Because there are certain times when obligation and duty is not going to be enough. But passion and love will motivate you to do things you would never dream possible. A stunning revelation the Holy Spirit desires to give each and every one of us if we will seek it. Which is a more accurate representation of the age to come. Because can I tell you, in the age to come, we will not be servants in the house. We will be his bride in the house. All those other titles will fade and the one revelation of Jesus that will endure throughout eternity and translate into the age of come is that we will not be a servant. We are his bride. And never said, behold, the bridegroom cometh, go ye out to meet him. And never said, behold, your master comes or behold, your king comes. Behold, your Lord comes. Behold, your savior comes. Who's coming? The bridegroom, he's the one coming. And who's he coming after? He's coming after his bride. That's why Jesus taught in Matthew twenty-two thirty, for in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage. Some of us have often wondered about that. Will I still be married to my wife or my husband in heaven? You know, they asked this of Jesus and they tried to catch him. Well, well, if, if his wife dies and he marries somebody else, and if his wife dies and he marries somebody else, whose, whose husband will he be or whose wife will he be in heaven? What did Jesus say? This was his response. Heaven, there will be no marriage, none given in marriage, because there's only one marriage relationship in heaven. It is the bridegroom and the bride, because we are that bride. Now, don't get all weird on me. Say, well, I want to know my wife or my husband. You're going to know her. You're going to know him. You're going to know him better than you've ever known him. But it's just that this marriage is going to eclipse every other marriage. This for me, and I'll land here and worship team can come back in the way up. This didn't really become revelation to me. The Lord began this work in my heart in an unusual place. It was in Jerusalem in 2013, and it was on a Friday night, Shabbat, beginning of Shabbat, in Jerusalem at the Wailing Wall. If, you, if, you, if you've ever had the privilege of going to Israel and you've been at the Western Wall, the Wailing Wall, at the beginning of Shabbat, it's quite an experience. Because it's, it's, I mean, joy, there's music, there's dancing, there's circle dance. It's just a, this this incredible experience of just joy and excitement. And you go to the wall and they got the women on one side and the men on the other. And I remember as, as, as I was there and you stick out like a sore thumb, you know, I was sticking out like a sore thumb. I was like, man, I had this like something in me said, I've got to get to the wall. I got to get to the wall. I didn't know what it was, but I just knew I needed to get there. I said, guys, I need to, I need to go. But it's just packed. I mean, some of these people and these Hasidic Jews, and they're just all packed in there shoulder to shoulder. I mean, it's a throng of people all the way, all the way to the, to the wall. So I went and got my little yarmulke on. They offer those for people like us. I put my yarmulke on, and I remember just pushing my way, forcing my way, pushing my way, forcing my way to get to the wall, to get to the wall. And it was no easy task. 
I think I pushed over several Jews along the way, but I was, I was, I was determined I'm going to get there. And man, they're going and they're and they're crying out and they're and they're praying in Hebrew and reciting. It is just this. Um, I mean, it is like a, it is like a mosh pit on steroids, and the Holy Spirit's all over it. I mean, it's just incredible. And I remember, and I and I and I got to the wall, and I and I touched it. I just I got to touch the wall. I touched the wall, and I remember it struck me because I was in the presence of all of God's chosen people, all those who had, who are operating under this Abrahamic covenant, which I don't even fully understand. And they were just crying out for him, longing for their Messiah to come. In that moment, I wasn't trying to be critical of their theology or their, well, you just missed it the first time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, I, I, none of that was even in my brain. I said, God, they're longing for you. And I remember I just began to weep and I began to cry, Jesus, I want you to come. I want to be with you, Lord. I want to be with you. And I just melted on the floor in front of this ancient wall, weeping and realizing this is the place that you're going to come. And those who pierced you, they will see you. And I want to see you and I want to be with you. And I just cried and wept to my heart, but it was, a, it was a longing and a pain that was so deep inside me that I never experienced that kind of longing before. I didn't care what people thought. I was just, oh God, I'm in your, I'm here. This is the place where you're coming. This is the place. This is it. I'm going to rule and reign with you out of this place. And it moved me. It moved me. It began something in me that would begin to become a snowball in my life. It was a cloud the size of a man's hand at a distance as a servant of Elijah saw. But it began to move deeper into my life. As God began to reveal some of these truths to me and put a longing in my heart to be with him. About two months ago, I had a dream and it brought this, it was a very fresh dream for me. And in the dream, there was a person in, in our church that's been through a lot, a lot of loss and a lot of difficulty. And when you look at this person, you can just see the heaviness on her of everything that she's walked through, just tough. But in this dream, in this dream, I was up against a wall like this with my back up against a wall looking out. And I looked to my left and this person that in life who had endured so much pain and hurt, she was to my left. She had like emerged out of the wall. I couldn't tell if there was a door there, but just like she just appeared. She didn't see me, but I looked at her and she glowed. She was the embodiment of just peace and joy and love. It just was emanating. It was just flowing out of her life. And I was looking at this, this is not, I mean, I knew it was the same person, but it wasn't the same person. Because there was no sadness. There was no pain. There was just this beautiful joy. And I remember looking at there, and all of a sudden, I doubled over in pain in this dream, longing to be with Jesus longing to be with the bridegroom. Not the God, not the Father, not the Almighty, not the King, but with Jesus. And I woke up in my bed, and it was like two or three in the morning, and I was just tears streaming. Lord Jesus, I want to be with you. More than anything in the whole planet, more than my wife and more than my kids. This, isn't, this is not something normal for me, by the way. I'm the duty guy. I'm the guy who wants to work and get it done. This isn't, I'm not the romantic guy, right? But I was just 
torn up inside, wanting to be with Jesus. It was why Jesus said in Revelation 22, the spirit and the bride say, come. Maranatha, come, Lord. It's not Jesus, come fix the world. Jesus, come fix my cancer. Jesus, come fix my marriage. Jesus, come fix my car. Jesus, come fix my house. Jesus, come fix my boss. It's Jesus, come because I want to be with you. You see, we're invited into a pursuit that's born in passion, not in obligation. And when we begin to reorient ourselves to who the bridegroom is and who we are in him, it will change everything about your relationship with Jesus. Because it's not that you don't matter, it's that he matters more. It's not that my wife doesn't matter, he matters more. Because I want to be with him.